Jesus was the most rejected man in history. Did you know that? The most rejected man in history. Friday night, we had a powerful service. It was good communion. Good Friday, I call communion service. And we talked about a promise made, that God made certain promises. In the last 24 hours of the life of Jesus before he died on that Friday night, 29 promises about the Messiah were fulfilled in the last 24 hours of the life of Jesus. I want to tell you, when God makes a promise, he's a promise keeper. When God makes a promise, he's a promise keeper. But I want to show you this morning, I want to read to you in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 2. This is a prophecy about Jesus. He grew up before him like a tender root, like a root out of the dry ground. And this is what it says about Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Can I tell you what that verse is actually saying? Matter of fact, it says there was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. In other words, the Bible deliberately says that when Jesus was brought to the earth, you'll know him because he's pretty ordinary. There's nothing attractive in his appearance that we should be drawn to him because of his looks. It's one of the ways we'll know who the Messiah is. And I don't mean to be disrespectful when I say this, but if I read that scripture in how it was intended how, how it was intended to be written, it actually implies that Jesus was, was almost a little less than ordinary. It says there was nothing in his appearance. It actually implies that he would almost be a little bit bordering on unattractive, bordering on ugly, so that no one would say Jesus was a cult personality. He had this look about him. He was a Fabio. He, he, there was something about him the people were drawn to him. And it says here in verse three, he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. And yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, he was willing to be rejected by God so we can be accepted by God. I think that's worth just giving God a praise right there. He died the most horrific death, and throughout his life, he was constantly rejected, and he was despised from his birth. Let me tell you how much Jesus was rejected. Jesus was rejected by his earthly father, not by his heavenly father, but by his earthly father. The Bible says in Matthew chapter one that when Mary realized she was pregnant and Joseph found out about it, Joseph, of course, knowing I'm not the dad, 
and the girl that I'm engaged to, the girl that I'm soon to be married to, is pregnant, and I know it wasn't me. He actually planned to put Mary aside because he wasn't accepting the fact that she was pregnant when he knew he wouldn't have been the father. He was rejected. It actually took an angelic visitation for him to accept Jesus and stay with Mary. When King Herod found out there was a baby born uh, in Jerusalem who was declared to be the king of the Jewish people, he ordered all male children under the age of two to be murdered, to be put to death. And Jesus, with his mother and his father, had to flee to Egypt to escape the sentence of death. In Luke chapter 4, in Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, where Jesus was raised and he walked into the temple and he read open the book of Isaiah and he declared, listen, he said, today this scripture is fulfilled. Jesus walked into the temple and he read from Isaiah the prophecy concerning the promise God gave. He read the prophecy concerning the promise God gave about a soon coming king. And he walks into the temple and he looks and he reads from that scroll and he looks at the crowd and he goes, today is this scripture fulfilled. <laughs> what was their response? They took him to the top of the hill. I've been to this hill. It is a scary tall place. And they wanted to kill him, and they tried to throw him off the cliff. Even his own hometown people tried to kill him. In Mark chapter 3, when he began his ministry, did you know this? That his mother, his brothers and sisters all thought he lost his mind? His family came to take him home when he began preaching and teaching. You're thinking, he's lost his mind. We've got to bring him home. Judas, one of his own 12, the one who Jesus actually calls friend, led, was, was the one that led the betrayers to come and arrest him. I tell you, a very close person to Jesus rejected him for money. The Jewish leaders and the Romans, without a doubt, crucified him. The government, <laughs> sounds like today, and religious leaders rejected him. Ultimately, probably the most inconceivable thing, even his heavenly father rejected him. Three times, the Bible says in Mark chapter 15, at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabbati, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was hanging on the cross and he said, my God, why have you forsaken me. The only place where Jesus calls his father God. Every other time in scripture, he calls him father in a very intimate way. That Friday, God the father turned his back on Jesus, his son. For the first time in all of eternity, Jesus had separation from God the father. So let me answer the question. Why was God forsaking Jesus? And the answer is simple. Everything bad that happened to Jesus on that day on the cross, we deserve. That's why God did it. 
He took our punishment, our sickness, the wrath and the anger and the rejection of God. Why? So we would never have this happen to us. Come on. God the Father will never reject us because he did it to his son. And Jesus lived with rejection his entire life, yet it never affected his decision-making. It never changed his mind because someone was going to reject him. It never affected his attitude toward people. He loved people regardless of how they treated him. Did you know love is our greatest need? Without a doubt, we all crave it. Because love is our greatest need, rejection is our greatest fear. Most people would rather die than do what I'm doing right now, the fear of public speaking. Most people would rather die than get up here and speak publicly. Anybody can say amen to that? I, I understand. Rejection is our greatest scar. Rejection is the devil's control point in our lives. He uses it to control us, to keep us from healthy lives. There's all sorts of rejection. There's the rejection of feeling like you were an unwanted child. Perhaps someone who was adopted had to deal with that sense of why did my mother or father, why didn't they want me? I remember my brother's here this morning, Dennis. He's my oldest brother, older brother, and he's here this morning. But I remember my parents, you know, they, they had five kids. Actually, they had six children. My mother lost the last one, stillborn. And I remember, you know, talking to my parents about I'm the third born son. And I said to my mum and dad, were you hoping for a girl? And uh, they said, yeah, we kind of were. So I kind of feel like sometimes I was the unwanted boy. I'm not living with any rejection, I assure you. Not being, another form of rejection is not being accepted or loved. Being excluded or laughed at makes us feel rejection. Isn't that true? Being lied about, being compared in an unfair way, divorce or adultery are massive forms of rejection. Abandonment, emotional or physical. Neglect, not being chosen or accepted for who I am. Having to obtain physical or financial or educational standards in order to be accepted is a form of rejection. Being fired is a form of rejection. An end of a friendship, a premature death, even suicide, there is a sense of why did they reject me? Why did they leave me? And a lot of us, because we've been rejected, carry a spirit of rejection. Amen. And we just wait for people to reject us because they always have. And it defines us and it controls our thinking. And I want to just maybe talk to you this morning on this Easter Sunday about how Christ handled rejection. And I want to maybe on this Easter Sunday help us to understand how to overcome it. You see, number one, four common uh, unhealthy ways in which people react to rejection. Number one, they actually avoid the risk of rejection. They will conform to the environment rather than be their real selves. They'll be a chameleon. They'll blend in. So they'll conform. Rather than just be themselves, 
they'll actually conform to the environment because if people knew the real me, they wouldn't like me, therefore I'll just conform to where I am. So if I think you're gonna reject me, I need to reject you first in order not to be rejected. And I gotta tell you, faith is a risk, isn't it? Faith is a risk, but, but fear is guaranteed failure. It takes a risk to live by faith and to trust people and love people, amen? And there's risk to faith, but there's guaranteed failure, amen, in fear. Jesus knew he was going to be rejected, but he did it anyway. We wouldn't have a savior if Jesus was controlled by fear. The second way we can see it, how we handle it unhealthily, contrasting that to Jesus, is with anger and depression. People who are rejected are often aggressive. There was a study done, I think this is interesting, in 2003 of the school shooters, 13 out of 15 school shooters, listen to this, felt chronic rejection by their peers. Most men who commit violent crimes were just divorced or lost their girlfriend. Young people display any social behavior when rejected, and often they're actually expressing something. How did Jesus, what does Jesus teach us? He hung on a cross and he forgave the people who put him there. He could have called down legions of angels and prayed, and, and yet he didn't do that. He could have said, God, smite them. But instead, you know what he did? He prayed for them. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And a lot of people who reject you don't know any better either. Number three, another way in which we handle rejection in an unhealthy way is through hopelessness and despair. People who suffer rejection often die younger. They have a much higher mental and emotional problems. They have a much higher suicide rate. And the devil, I want to tell you, is a hurt whisperer. He's a hurt whisperer. I think it's fascinating when you go back into the garden, when God made Adam and Eve, the Bible says that they were naked and they were unashamed. There was nothing of a sense of, there was a lack of decorum, a lack of dignity. They walked around freely in the garden of God and the presence of God. But then when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit that the devil deceived them into eating, I gotta tell you, what was the first thing they did? They saw that they were naked and they hid themselves. And God said, what have you done? What, who told you? God knew the answer to the question. It was that serpent that slithered into the garden. It's a sneaky, stealthy, just God won't reject you if you do this. And yet the moment they did it, they felt naked and ashamed. You see, I want to tell you that the fourth way in which we don't handle rejection well is by being overly sensitive to rejection or overly dependent on other people's approval and the, and the acceptance of others. Sometimes even just a little look can trigger you. Just a passing comment where, I, I remember for me when I was a young leader, I wanted everybody to like me. It was so important to me that everybody liked me. So I used to say yes to everybody. But when you say yes to everybody, you can't fulfill your yes to everybody. 
For as many people as I was trying to help, as as many people as you can end up hurting. And I had to learn how to get over. I got to tell you this, um, I have never regretted being kind to a person. Never regretted being kind to a person. But I do regret changing who I am to get people to like me. Did you hear that? I've never regretted being kind, but I do regret changing who I am to get people to like me. Here's the thing. When you get older, you don't quite care as much. Matter of fact, this week, Sharon and I will be flying over to Australia again, and we're going to visit Sharon's grandmother, who's now 101 years old. She's, yeah, that means Sharon's going to live a long time, right? And so last time I was over there, we call her Nan. I said, Nan, and they brought in this great tray of food in this nursing home. She's 101, and the food honestly looked good. I looked at my man, I'd eat that. I said, Nan, how's the food? And here's the person bringing the food in. And I'm thinking, Nan will give a compliment because it looked great. And I can't tell you on Easter Sunday morning the words as to how she described it taste. <laughs> and, and I said, Nan, I felt so sorry for the lady bringing the food in. She goes, what? She knows it tastes like that. I tell her every day. <laughs> so can I just maybe just close out this message by talking to us about the promise fulfilled that one of the ways we'll know who the Messiah is is he'll have been rejected and he will show us how to handle our greatest need. And he shows us how to overcome rejection. A few simple things. Number one, base your life on God's perfect love and what his word says about you. Base your life. I know we have a lot of people visiting for Easter. And this message, I want to speak, I want to, speak to everybody today. That you can base your life on God's perfect love and what God says about you. Can I tell you this? God adores you. He adores you. He loves you with a love. He's so glad you're here this morning. He would want to let you know that he will never reject you. He loves you with a love that is perfect, that is completely, he looks at you and he says, you are worth dying for. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, listen, I will never, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Can I tell you, when people are big in your life, God is small. When people are big in your life, God is small. Listen to the promise Jesus gives. I will never leave you or forsake you. Leave is physical. Forsake is emotional. On your worst day, God says, I still got you. Come on, somebody. John 6, 37 says, All who the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. <laughs> Number two, pursue relationships with believers who are chasing after God and have healthy relationships. How do I deal with this example, this need 
to be loved. We pursue relationships of people who are chasing after God and have healthy relationships. Just read the prodigal son. Jesus tells a story about a young man who wanted his money. He wanted to do exit stage left snagglepuss. See, you wouldn't want to be you. And he wants to go out and find himself. And he takes all the money that the father, the father had earned. And now the father passed it on as an inheritance. The Bible does say an inheritance gained too quickly will bring a person to ruins. And this young man took all the money he had and he spent it on wild, crazy, reckless living. He had all the friends in the world when he had the money, but the moment there was a famine in the land, the moment he ran out of money, he found out who his real friends were and they rejected him because they had nothing to offer them anymore. And I want to tell you, if you want to build your life with healthy understanding of how to, re- how to deal with rejection, you got to pursue healthy friendships and you got to get around people who have healthy friendships. Number three, accept rejection and don't take it personally. Luke 6, 26, Jesus said, woe to you when everyone speaks of you well. But that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Listen to what Jesus said. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil. Because of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. But that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Can I tell you something? If Jesus got rejected, who do you think you are? Life isn't easy. Everyone isn't going to like you. You know what they say about people in the Navy? A calm sea never produces a good sailor. That's a good quote. I want to say, we're going to get rejected. Let's just make sure we're being rejected for the right reasons. Can anybody say amen? And I'm going to close with this last thought. Forgive those who reject you and give them God's love in return. Luke chapter 6, one more time. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other one also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks, and if anyone takes what you belong, do not demand it back. Boy, this so flies in the face of culture. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. But if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those to whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners expecting will be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High God because he is kind to an ungrateful and to the wicked. Come on, somebody. There's the wisdom of God. 
<laughs> the greatest example Jesus ever gave is on the cross. And he shows us that we were deserving of this moment that he took. And I, I still can't get my mind around this. If ever there's a moment you give Jesus a moment to be self-focused, ever there was a moment you'd give Jesus permission to be just thinking about himself, it would be that moment, wouldn't you agree? He's hanging on a cross. He grew up, he grew with rejection his whole life, everywhere, his family, his father. One of the 12 betrayed him, amen? And now God has rejected him. If ever there was a moment you say, Jesus, if you were, one, if ever, were ever deserving a moment, you'd just be thinking about yourself, this is it. And yet in this moment, even the two thieves on the cross began to just cuss. And they were talking to cross. Jesus was in the middle. They were talking to cross. And they were cussing. They were blaspheming. They were mad and they were angry. And then finally, one of them just goes, hey, guys, that man, that's enough. Stop. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, will you remember me when you get to where you're going? And I just think to myself, in that moment, Jesus could have gone, dude, I kind of got my hands full here. And, and he, he, he turns to him and says, I tell you, this day, there's nothing you can do to deserve God's love, God's mercy, and God's forgiveness. My God, my God, why have you rejected me? The answer is so that he'll never reject us. I actually saw this, one of the most powerful clips I've seen in a long time. It's just a quick little video clip about this thief on the cross and how on earth did he get to heaven? What could he have done to deserve it? Check out the clip. Thief on the cross. And what an immense, <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, <laughs> you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You'd never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, did you, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. Then go get the supervisor ranger. So we just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, "I never heard of it in my life." And and what about? Uh, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said, "The man on the middle cross said, I can come.'" <laughs> now. Now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. 
Isn't that incredible? The man on the middle cross said I could come. I want to tell you, God loves you this morning. Everybody online, He loves you. You are worth dying for. When God looks at you, He looks at you through Jesus-colored glasses, and He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And on this Easter Sunday morning, I thank God for the resurrection power of what happened 2,000 years ago. But it's not just a story. It's not just something that happens in history. He's still in the business of forgiving sin and saving souls and accepting mankind. And I want to tell you, God will never reject you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Come on, somebody. Give God some praise this morning.